are there people that are respecting you for the individual you are or respecting you for the chair that you occupy so if, if there are people that are respecting you for the chair that you occupy then you know they are the journeymen that you know it doesn't matter because they will do what you tell them to do because it's a chair and it's not the person but if somebody is willing to collaborate with you because you bring something to the table and they're willing to debate it with you fight with you and make sure that they see your point of view or you see their point of view that's what build culture Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us, but this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lady Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Rajesh Subramaniam, who is the CEO and Managing Director of Results CX, a 30-year-old leading provider of transformational customer experience management solutions to over 75 global brands, including Fortune 100 and 500 companies. They have 23,000 employees and handle 150 million calls per year. Rajesh, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. A pleasure being here. Now, we go to your LinkedIn profile. The first thing you see right across the top is the numbers guy. When I think of a CEO... Yes, they care about the numbers, but I don't always see the numbers. I wouldn't expect to see the numbers guy on their LinkedIn profile. What is that all about? Well, uh, you know, as the old adage goes, in God we trust, the rest we check, the numbers guy. Ultimately, it all comes back to making sure that you're not going to have a crash landing when you're flying a plane. So, you know, it's it's the U.S. Air Force's motto, and so it's is it mine. So uh, at, at the end of the day, every emotion, every strategy, every tactic that you do, you know, needs to have an impact. It can have a social impact. It can have a community impact. It can have an impact on your customers, on your clients, or it also has to have an impact on your shareholders. And that's measured by the quality of the numbers you deliver. So that's how I've been trained. So when were you trained this way? Uh, well, I started my career as an analyst, uh, figuring out what is the price you pay uh, for a, a company's common stock. And the price you pay is predicated on what you believe is a value for the business. And if there's an arbitrage between you're paying lower price for a higher value, that's when you make money. 
And if you end up paying a higher price for a low value, you end up losing money. So, you know, everything around numbers on how you figure out what is the true worth of a business is a constituent of everything that goes to build that business. And that's how mm-hmm. I got trained in my early years. And that stayed with me as my foundational strength. So thinking about one thing, one thing I did mention in the intro was before you were CEO and managing director of a result CX, you're actually the same role at first source. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced at first source going from startup to going public and how'd you overcome it? Oh, yeah, no. So first source was truly, a, I, w- I would say what we did in that company and, you know, it went from a startup, a business plan, had a very successful IPO, a billion plus market cap, great customers, uh, great franchise. Then it went almost bust, almost became bankrupt. Uh, a billion dollars fell to about 55 million in market cap. Uh, oh. So I'd taken a hiatus. I became a venture capitalist after the first boom saying that, hey, you know, from a startup to a billion dollars, I've done my bit. I want to go and help other entrepreneurs. And then, you know, something went wrong. The environment went wrong and, you know, the company went bust. And then, you know, I was brought back to turn around the business. Uh, it was 55 million market cap. And hey, you know, in six, seven years, we're working with a lot of smart people, working with, um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of good interventions, good wishes from all the constituents that are important for a business. We saw it back up to a billion dollars. Uh, you know, the company was zero debt, paid dividends, shareholders happy, customers happy. And then I got on board. So then I had to leave. So what was the lesson that you took away? The the lesson is, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Uh, you know, when we mm-hmm. get to celebrate successes, uh, ba- basis momentary gratification, uh, you know, you, you always try and create an organization that endures cycles, that endures, you know, plan for the long term, but measure short term and make sure that you're aligned with the goals. And, and mm. creating a sustainable organization, creating those foundational strengths for a sustainable organization, you know, first of should never have gone through the cycles it did if uh, mm. we were playing the cards for what was right for the here and now. So that was a lesson that, you know, absolutely we learned and uh, using some of those lessons to good use in the current gig I'm in. So a lot of times you hear about companies focusing too short term. And not enough long term. You're kind of flipping it a little bit, and you're like, "Look, first horse, we we were looking long term. We had our eyes set on that, but we weren't focusing enough on the here and now in the short term, and got into cash flow bind. Is that right? That's right. So we 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 got into a lot of cash flow troubles, and and then you make one mistake after the uh, other, you know. And also, sometimes in life, leadership lessons, it doesn't matter if you put up your hand and say, "Hey, I made a mistake," you know. Let's step back. Put your ego in check. Put your, you know, ask for help. Sometimes, you know, there are two types of things that happen. Either you're you're you're, you're sweeping the problem under the mm-hmm. carpet because the ostrich mentality saying that, hey, let me bury my head. The problem goes away, and then you realize it's a big tiger coming and biting your back off. And then the other uh, one is, you know, you your ego is so big that you don't feel that you've made a mistake until a, the situation is taken out of your hand. So all mm-hmm. these are lessons. That one learns through the evolution of the journey that I've been through. So, who were some of these? Like, did you learn these through just your experience and reflecting? Did you have some good mentors? What was the source for Rajesh of 
of all these lessons? Uh, all of the above, uh, Ben. I, you know, uh, the the biggest you know benefit I've had is I've worked with some very smart people, very intelligent people. Mm. But uh, nobody's perfect. Everybody have have their own blind spots. So you know, as an individual, if you realize what your own blind spots are, and you work and you make sure that you surround mm. yourself with people that can uh, ensure that they can they can fulfill. You don't imbibe what you think are those bad habits, which then become a part of your bad habits. So that's that's that led led to my success so far. Well, I'm glad you mentioned surrounding yourself with the right people because you you're known to talk a lot about that, and. What's your advice for leaders who look around right now and they're like, you know what? I don't think I'm surrounding myself with the right people. Uh, Maybe it's their own team. Maybe it's in their personal life. You know, I don't know, but could be either both. What's your advice for them to start getting around the right kind of people? No, I, I I think you will you you don't have an archetype of what is surrounding yourself with the right people. The right people for you first is are you easy in your skin having a conversation with them? I mean, leave your talking. They, are there people that are respecting you for the individual you are or respecting you for the chair that you occupy? So if there are people that are respecting you for the chair that you occupy, then you know they are the journeymen that, you know, it doesn't matter because they will do what you tell them to do because it's a chair and it's not the person. But if somebody is willing to collaborate with you because you bring something to the table and they're willing to debate it with you, fight with you and make sure that they see your point of view or you see their point of view, that's what build culture. Mm. So for me... Surrounding yourself with the right people is I don't want people to say everything yes to everything that I say. And I want people to fight back on everything that I say. I don't want that. I don't want garrulous people either. I want people that are aligned to a common objective and and they bring that extra something that I don't have. And, you know, ultimately, if they succeed, I succeed. You know, there's no ego in for me to say, hey, I don't know this guy. Somebody please help me. And whether that's Three levels below in my organization, five levels below. It just doesn't matter because when a problem is solved, a customer is happy, an employee is happy, the shareholders are happy, and that makes the team happy. So that's how I play the game. I love that. You're like, hey, this just one little thing, surrounding yourself with the right people has so many positive effects. And I like the I like the metaphor of the chair. Is it the you or the chair? When you're building a team or you're trying to surround yourself with these people that it sounds like disagree or who are willing to disagree. Are you having conversations with them first? Are you saying, this is what I want? I don't want you to agree with me. Like, what are you doing to really make it all happen where you have the person that will disagree? Because 23,000 people in your organization, it's hard to imagine a world where, people multiple levels of the organization are all disagreeing with each other and willing to speak up because that's just not the way organizations usually work. They do respect the chair. They respect the org chart. What are you doing to counteract that? No, no, I, I, absolutely. I, it's a great question, Ben. I can't I can't have 23,000 thinkers. I mean, I, I need to have people who are also executioners. So so there is a chain of command. I mean, if, if every infantryman starts thinking on the strategy of what to do in a battlefield, you're dead. So you need people that are, you know, following. There's a lot. Okay. Yeah. So 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 it it comes back to how you. There are certain problems that are solved in the boardroom, and there are certain problems that are solved in the trenches. As long as you know, identify what are solved and which spectrum of what you're trying to achieve, 
mm-hmm. and have the honesty and the integrity to understand how you ensure that the people that are in the trenches that need to solve for problems that percolates to the top and and how people in the top what they decide how it percolates and and that's the culture that's the learning culture and in this process there is a quotient of trust that is created and there's a quotient of learning that is created and trust and learning are two sides to the same coin and when they start playing out well you know the company succeeds you're also known for encouraging alternative perspectives which uh i think fits really well into this idea of have a team that's willing to challenge in certain areas how has this been useful for you uh, you know it it comes back to my very early training in uh, in, in investing uh, which was we were contrarian we never used to follow the herd. If the herd went in a certain direction, we used to look at ideas which the herd didn't like. Because what the herd liked would become very expensive at, at some point and comes back to the fact that the price becomes more than the value. So then you take a look at what has been ignored or you want to take a look at what you think you know the herd has missed out and that's where the value is. So I like contrarian thinking. If everybody's looking at a problem in a certain way, I like to look at it in a different way. And then I, I'd like to muddy the waters by by putting in an alternate idea in terms of how it works. And, and that's, that's what encourages debates. And that's what happens. Because in life, you know, it's unlike mathematics where even in mathematics, 2 plus 2 is 4, but 1 plus 3 is 4. 3.9 plus 0.01 is 4. So there are so many ways to get to that same answer. Hmm. The question is, where? how do you get it? How do you get there quickly with the most efficient capital allocation, with the best use of return on time? which then generates the adequate return on investment. So that's where the numbers come in. So, so mm-hmm. having multiple opinions and multiple points of view and then debating within the team, which encourages the conversation of pushback and how you... And then once a decision is taken, making sure everybody's aligned, people who don't believe that was the right thing need to be convinced that they are aligned to solving the problem the way the team has decided that's the best way forward. And that's what builds great teams and companies. What what a great metaphor. I've never heard it put that way. There are a lot of ways to get to the number four. It's just like, what's the right mix for the situation that you're in? Still get to four. And too many leaders will say it's two plus two is four. Do not question it. That's the method. Get it. But you're missing out on everything else. There are a lot of ways to get there. So well stated. Are there any contrarian thinkers out there that inspire you? I, I, as I said, the people I worked with in my first job. I mean, you know, when I've been, I've had the privilege of, of, of working in in a lot of unstructured environments. You know, structured environments hmm. puts you in a template. Any organization or any culture that puts you in a template, you can't express yourself. Any organization or culture that allows you to work outside the template while you then ultimately land up in a template when it comes to execution uh you know that's and and i i've just been i've just been lucky there's so many people that uh, you know i can think of from my early bosses you know that that have uh, allowed me to express myself uh you know without being castigated or without being reprimanded for 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 you know hey you know for your pay grade this is what you need to do you know not putting my putting me in the box i'm just grateful for the people i work with and that's why i've had Either by design or by accident, I've just had some great people to work with. So when's the time when you worked outside the template and it paid off? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, the easiest thing to do, uh, you know, turning around Fursos was, you know, Fursos was an over-leveraged organization. We had 
probably you know 350 400 million dollars of debt and we were on the verge of bankruptcy the the bondholders and the debt the guys who own the debt were going to take over the company split the company into parts the easiest option would have been hey let them do it i mean it's you know it is the fate of the company but you know there were there were 30000 people in the organization 30000 people whose livelihood depended on the organization the easiest path would be to just play that role out and then get out of the company and go land in another job. But the difficult, the, the contrarian point was, can we turn this around, guys? Get 10 guys sitting in in a war room, draw out the strategies to turn it around, to bring back the solvency in the business, create the liquidity to repay the debt and get the company into a solid footing. And that's what we did. And lo and behold, so what do you do in those moments? You've had some pretty stressful business situations. A lot of other people dependent on you, negotiating with banks and other companies in very high, high pressure moments. What's your personal approach to, to handling it? Again, uh, trusting the right people. I, I mean, never second guess the people you've surrounded yourself with. Trust them. They will do the job. And the way I work mm -hmm. is, if if anybody has a problem that they want solve, I ask them to come with the solution and debate which solution works well. My job is to help them find the right solution, which could be most optimum, but not the solution itself. Because then what happens is the company is only as good as what my ideas are. But if I have a hmm. whole bunch of people coming back with, as I said, you know, the analogy of two, it all comes back to the two plus two argument. There's so many ways of getting to the same and I just trust them and you trust people, let them express themselves. They imbibe the same culture to their teams. And that's when, uh, you know, the your bandwidth becomes easier. So you're not solving operational issues all the time. You're also thinking about the future, how to secure the company strategically going forward. And so trust has been very important. Anybody that belies trust, uh, if that is if that bond is broken, I'm unforgiving. So how do you know who to trust? It's 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 a lot of trial and error. You you keep hiring people. Uh, there are people that have worked with you. There are people that have come through acquisitions. They work. I mean, so you look for a common thread of how you define the culture of the company. The culture of the company is one where you know trust forms a very important part of how leadership skills are cultivated in the organization because. If again, if I if I'm just protecting the here and now, and if the if the culture of the company is one of being of of everybody being control freaks, everybody trying to do things on their own, telling their teams and more of a directive type of a you know a leadership telling people what to do, the company is only as good as those individuals. But if there are a lot of other people who are applying their mind, imagine the discretionary energy that's created in the organization, mm. which then. And all of that is not applied for the same situation, but all of that becomes a part of the knowledge repository of the organization and some of which can be applied to different situations, which will always emerge. Problems are not the same thing that happen all the time. There are different opportunities, different problems, different threats that emerge at every point in time. So the question is, how do you create that organization that is able to create the knowledge base that can, which might not be relevant at a point in time, but definitely be relevant at some time in the future. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? Then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts that have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. 
Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. So when when an employee has a big idea, what's your advice on how they should communicate it to the C-suite? Oh, yeah, but there, we have mechanisms. We have, uh, you know, I every member of, of my senior leadership team, they have their own forums. I have my forums. I have a connect with my senior leadership team. I have my connect with my uh, my top leaders, uh, my top 250, 300 leaders through roundtables. I, you know, we have very open, honest, transparent uh, conversations. Usually, you know, you see leadership only talking about the good news. They hide the bad news. I'm very transparent and I get people to ask questions, lay out their answers. I encourage them to talk to their teams. And the as I said, you know, there's a lot of innovation that happens from the trenches. There's a lot of innovation that happens from the boardroom. I get visibility for what happens in the boardroom. I don't get visibility for what happens in the trenches. And that needs to buckle it up. Mm-hmm. And that percolates up, that happens through the communication channel, through the chain of command that the trench works right up to senior management. And then that gets institutionalized by the C-suite that is in the organization that then creates plans to execute on it. Is there a specific favorite idea that you, that you like to sometimes talk about that came up through the organization that ended up being a, a winner? This- the first thing I tell people is nothing called a stupid idea. So, you know, so I, I you know, if, if you just just to be a little jocular, if, if you don't like the color of the toilet paper, please raise your hand and tell me why you don't like the color of the toilet paper. You know, it's as simple as that. That could be an, an energy efficiency argument. That could be a, you know, that could be some, some that could be something in there. Somebody found out which, so you, you never know. It's as stupid as that to, to anything which is you know more strategic in nature. So I, I, as I said, in an organization which is which is driven by people, driven by the people for the people, and it impacts the lives of people, which is our customer's customer. I think you know every idea that accelerates and and feeds into empathy, feeds mm-hmm. into understanding, feeds feeds into how to solve problems. All the envelopes that are created around these is core to our mm-hmm. you know, customer experience platform that we're building at Results CX. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why is it important? It's integrity. It's the you know, be truthful, be honest to to what you wake up to because you're you're committed to your family, you're committed mm-hmm. to your community and your coworkers. Never ever there, there can be no materiality in a breach of integrity. So for me, uh, you know, you you just got to be honest to to what you wake up to. If you walked in tomorrow, and everyone had really bought into this integrity piece, hundred percent, how would the office look? How would the workforce look? There a lot of people. There there, there would be a lot of people who'd say, "Hey, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody teach me?" Rather than people saying that, hey, I know how to do it when I don't know how to do it, and the, and and it starts failing the company. Cool. Yeah, I can see that, and that would be huge because yeah. then you could actually help people with what they need help with, and exactly. it would be very obvious. Versus so many leaders and so many organizations having to guess and maybe putting your resources into the wrong thing because you just don't know. You've already given us a few twists and failures in your career, but 
Do you have a favorite twist or failure and how did it lead to your success or ultimate growth on down the road? I, I, I think I've had more failures than successes. I mean, you learn from your failures. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the number of times I've picked the wrong stock, the number of times I've got emotionally attached to a situation. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, sometimes in life, the old st- story is once you get emotionally attached to something that you own, this is, you know, I could have been an analyst, I could have been a consultant, I could have been a director, whatever, you know, through my life. And then you create the narrative on what you believe and and sometimes in life what you believe might not be closer to what the reality is and and the famous adage i used to my people sometimes you get so attached and you start saying stories you start believing in your own bullshit so sorry for the french but and and then what happens is that that becomes you know the standard deviation from the truth gets wider and wider and and that's when you know you're living in fantasy land and not in reality. So I've made so many of those mistakes in my life across situations. Be it when I'm trying to sell a company, when I'm valuing a company, when I'm uh, you know trying to you know win a customer deal, when I'm trying to hire somebody, when I've not fired somebody, kept them for a longer time. I have made these mistakes across the spectrum. So I you know there's not one, but always learn from them. I mean, I, I always, I keep telling people and I keep telling them, I make new mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes again. So that's the biggest learning. When do you have the most fun at work? When I talk to people. I'm a people's guy. I learn when I talk to people. I need to connect. I need to be engaged with people all the time because that fuels my energy. I mean, you know, I, I draw energy from positive people. I draw energy when I get into a conversation i hate it when people talk to me in monosyllables then i can't have a conversation so so for me engaging and talking to people it's always connecting the dots you know and it and i hate transactional conversations i don't want to get into a conversation to solve a transaction i want to shoot the breeze i want to talk about you know family friends environment you know what did they read what happened what did they learn and you know once you get that engagement going, it's such a beautiful icebreaker so that next time you're having a business conversation, it just makes it a lot more easier for the two-way channel to work easier. So for me, connecting with people is my biggest strength and, and it's my go-to to, to you know just get my dopamine kick. Yeah, such a cool response to that question. It's important, number one, for employees, your 23,000 employees, to recognize, hey, their CEO does like to interact as a human. And it's hard for CEOs because as soon as you put CEO on your business card, people are going to treat you differently. Uh, They're going to treat you as somebody almost like a celebrity status, and they'd rather have your autograph than have a real conversation. What are you doing to facilitate that desire to have real conversations no and x ben that's a brilliant question and and what i do when i connect with people is i i tell them all the goofy stories and whether it's my employees or even my kids i mean if i'm teaching my kids life lessons i i I make it goofy i tell them you know this is how your dad screwed up on these situations and 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 you know there's a lesson in there just to show that hey it's okay to screw up it's okay to make mistakes You know, you know, the CEO doesn't make, uh, you know, somebody a superhuman. It's the same person. They have the same feeling. They, you know, it's, it's, and, and connecting to the lowest common denominator in the organization, in the language Mm. that they understand, because we've all been there, you know, we've got to where we are because of the sheer hard work and time you put in. 
but making sure that they see the human side and the emotional side is not to talk about work but to talk about them and and for me that connect builds a level of trust that mm-hmm. people are saying that this guy is not here just to squeeze them for what they show up to work and get paid for but to build a wider culture in the organization and and that's what defines results here what do you think about the lowest common denominator first of all that makes sense with your mr math and numbers right you're thinking about numbers but it's interesting to think about that because you can if you say so high level it's hard to get anybody every everybody around the idea thing i think that comes up for me from a lowest common denominator is family talk about your kids ask them if they have friends family nephews nieces kids uh any other common lowest common denominators that come to mind yeah the lowest common denominators are the people you take for granted i mean you know and don't take them for granted so it's it's family it's people you believe you know at the lower end of the work let me give you a simple example you know when i when i walk into a center in honduras or in philippines the person that greets you at the door the security lad or the or the last who's out there who's welcoming you into the organization and and a simple you know uh, a salutation back and inquiring about how they are uh because they are the first line of defense uh, in the organization i mean you mm-hmm. know they you know people and and i've seen yeah. so many people ignore them hey okay yeah you are there you're you're doing your job and i just walk past but connecting with them and and finding out how they are they build a loyalty they look out for the organization they make sure there's nothing which can go wrong with the organization they protect it because they believe they belong to that organization and for me that is important you need to feel you belong to the place you work in and and that's important for me it's funny i've heard a story about an executive uh who would pose as their own administrative assistant like when they're going to interview people <laughs> just to see how this executive is going to treat that person. Uh, even, of course, now in the today's, now it's easy to get their picture and find out, hey, that's the person I always be interviewing with. But years ago, this was something that I guess you could do. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what, um, so we talked about culture being what your people do when you're not watching. Absolutely. When you're watching, that's one way of culture. But when you're not, you know, how are they? How do they treat each other? That's a telltale sign. So starting to wrap this up, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success, Rajesh, that people could go out and purchase? A tennis racket. (laughs) We were just talking about tennis, (laughs) y'all. Yes, that's a stress reliever. And for you, it's a network machine too, right? It's a network machine, and it's 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 the only thing I, I hate to lose. I, I play to win. I, you know, at at my age, I can go to the gym, I can run on a treadmill, I can. I, I'm doing things on my own. I, I need I need something to compete with. I need a goal. I need I I need to use my and tennis is not just about physical fitness. It's about strategy. It's about the mind games. It's about you know you bring everything to bear. So for me, pick up something which keeps you competitive. I mean, find mm-hmm. find your calling in terms of what what makes you you know you which gives you that urge that you need to compete to win. Losing is a part of the game, but you need to start by saying I want to compete to win. Mm, I love that. The thing that I love about tennis the most probably is that feeling having having completed a match 
and noticing that when I'm on the court and I'm competing, I'm not thinking about anything else outside the court because I'm focused on winning. It's not about namaste. It's not about peace. It's about, okay, I'm competing to win and I don't always win. But just that hour and a half or we were just joking in, in Central Park, you only get an hour. Uh, but but uh, just that hour or hour and a half of refocus makes me come back so refreshed afterwards. Absolutely. And in life, it should be burn to earn. You know, you, you play that one and a half hours, you burn 600 calories, and you know you've earned yourself a nice steak after that. There you go. Nice steak. Have you read The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway? No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, this is one of my go-to books. And it's not, you know, the big secret, of course, the book is about tennis, but it's really about life philosophy. But this book was written back in the 70s, and a coach when I was in high school a long time ago told me to read it. And it, it really uh, is, is a beautiful book, but it talks about the mental side, the inner game of tennis, and how you've got like the external, like the points on the board that you're trying to get. But then there's the inner game and how you can always walk off, you know, feeling a little better, feeling pretty good, having won the inner game. And I use that all, I use that with my rec team when I coach my daughter in different sports too. So nice. anyway, I, I, I got to get a hold of the book. I'm, I'm going to buy Yeah, I, it's, it's pretty darn good. There are a lot of good ones out there. Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. And then... There's Gilbert, the, I, I know I, I'll find I'll look him up. He, he's 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 one of the finer. Yeah, he's a well-known guy, but the most delicious one out there is the Andre Agassi yeah. <laughs> biography. Yeah, how how, how we wore that wig and he played the yeah. Andre <laughs> wearing the wig, and I'm a bald guy. I've never played in a wig, but apparently you can win Wimbledon when wearing a wig, no problem. <laughs> Uh, Rajesh, thank you for coming on the show today, my friend. It was a lot of fun. It was. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me over. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.